0: Hungry Trilobite Podcast would like to acknowledge conventions such as Wheedencon. WeedonCon is a fan-generated charity event for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, Firefly, and all Joss Whedon creations. It is scheduled for October of 2020 and is held in Los Angeles, California. A portion of the proceeds benefit the Los Angeles LGBT Center as well as the Ron Glass Memorial Scholarship. See details at WeedonCon.com. Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today we have Darren Bruce from DJ Sessions on, and I'm going to have to take a minute to talk about other versions of this show because it's directly related to the episode content. This is the audio feed of Hungry Trilobite, and there is also a YouTube feed, an audio and a video version. And... I treat them both equally, but if you had to make me choose, I would say that I prefer the audio version, and that is what I consider to be the gold standard of what the show should be. Darren is into Twitch streaming, and as a result of that, I thought I would play around with Twitch and see if I could incorporate that technology into the podcast, at least for the purposes of this episode. My I, I was very new to OBS and entirely due to my learning curve, it didn't work out quite as well. So the YouTube version of this show is a little bit odd compared to the other episodes, but I still like it and it was a learning experience, so that's good. But the point I'm getting at is if you see this on YouTube or on Twitch and it looks like it's a little bit different than the regular show, it's just me experimenting with the format because that's what I love about podcasting. You can play with the format to your heart's content. So we're going to get into that. Let's get started. Today, we have Darren Bruce with the DJ Sessions. How are you doing today, good friend?
1: I'm doing great. How are you doing over there? Man? I am
0: doing fantastic. I am really eager to talk to you about a lot of stuff today because we're digging into something I don't know a whole lot about, and I'm, I love when people fill in gaps in my knowledge. So let's get into this. You are a Twitch personality. Just, just, just start to cr- scratch the surface here.
1: Yeah. Uh, basically, we do a live streaming show through Twitch. We're a featured partner with them, one of their only uh, electronic music DJ shows that is a featured partner. And we've been working with Twitch for the last two years. We've been doing our series for the last 10 years. And I come from a long line of, of a background of film and television production starting right out of high school. Well, technically, i starting younger than that at six years old when my dad bought the first video camera on the block. But in high school, we were offered our, the first video production class ever in the state of Washington. I took that class right out of high school, started working in public access, did that off and on for about a couple of years, and then um, launched my own first series to Fox as an exec um, in 2002, came back and, and had eight separate shows approved on NBC affiliates across the West Coast, got into podcasting, then got into live streaming, and now here's where we're at. <laughs>
0: That is that is really cool. I Full disclosure, I started a Twitch account two weeks ago. I'm just now getting to know the ins and the outs of it. I'm trying to figure out where it fits into my interest in new media. And it's, it's really exciting, but it's also very strange to me, too.
1: It, it can be. I mean, uh, you know, I was a podcaster for many years. Um, and navigating a podcast world or even a broadcast television world where you have a product that you – do a lot of post. for you shoot it you you have pre-production you have production you have post production and then you put that content into its into that medium when you move to a live format it's kind of like anything goes you can tweak and make something look in post-production beautiful but in live you're right there on and you're you're on the hot seat you know um so it's a very interesting medium that i've had to become accustomed to over the years and just you know, some people I say just keep plugging away, keep getting, keep going out there, keep researching. Because a lot of what you're gonna find in the live streaming world that doesn't happen in a broadcast television or podcasting world is live engagement, and that is one of the key factors for having a successful podcast is being engaging with your viewers, whether they're in the chat room or or whether they're you're you know you're just even giving them a shout out. Um, like if I'm like, oh, Aaron, thanks for coming into the chat room today. That's gonna make you feel engaged, part of the show, and, and make you wanna stay there and, and possibly even share that show um, with your friends and go out there on socials and share it so other people will you know find out about you. So that's key is engagement when it comes to live streaming is, is probably the number one of the number one key factors.
0: That's definitely that you almost exactly answered the question I was gonna ask there is what is the value in the live streaming because the one thing i've always loved about podcasting and youtube and video on demand in general is that you can have it whenever you want it it's there waiting for you it it took me a while to get my head around why putting yourself on somebody else's schedule had a merit to it
1: yeah um you know i mean again i think it's it's that now factor it's that mass consumption of i want instant gratification and i want to see that happening in real time, um, you know, it's, it's the equivalent of like, we, we obviously are a DJ show. We feature A-list celebrity DJs and local DJs. And I could have a DJ come on the show, set up a pre-prepared mix and just have them hit a play button. But where's the fun in that? You know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, going and seeing a, you know, a, a DJ doesn't do that when they're playing music. I mean, there are some out there that can cheat the system and, do that, but you're actually seeing the mix live. You can take you could take not a lot of DJs necessarily like requests, but you can take requests. You can tailor the show directly to your audience on the fly, on the go, right there, and have live questions being asked with your live responses coming right back to them. So I think that that novelty of people, especially with the more famous um, live streamers, you know, if, if you're if you had a celebrity DJ or a celebrity person and they're live. And they all of a sudden give you a shout out and say, hey, Aaron, thanks for tuning in. Or, hey, Aaron, we're taking this question from Aaron right now. Aaron asks blah, 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 blah. And you're watching, you're going to feel empowered. You're going to feel like this is awesome. And you're going to become a fan of that show. And you're going to tune in again just for that chance of maybe they'll shout you out one more time. And then maybe you become the ardent fan of the show. And then they maybe invite you on the show as a guest host sometimes. And it it all can go up from there. So those are things you really can't do in a podcast, broadcast television world is that live interaction.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And that, that does fill in the missing pieces to why you'd want to have this. Um, now, you said you're doing a DJ uh, show. You and I talked very briefly about how music on the internet comes with a whole slew of legal problems that frankly, most people do not and should not get involved in. Just don't have yourself. But what do you do to make the content worthwhile then?
1: Um, you mean, how do I make it work for us? Yes. Uh, we pay our licenses. <laughs> okay. And that is quite expensive and quite a, of a tedious process. And um, it, it's daunting when you're producing. I mean, right now we are scheduled to produce 16 to 20 hours of content every week. We can actually increase that to 30 hours. 30, two to 36 hours of content every week and when it's a dj show you're looking at anywhere from 12 to 15 songs per hour that then you have to go get clearances on before you distribute them so you can't get this in post you have to get it before you sync it you get what's called a sync and a master use for your for your live stream and then you got to get a sync and master use if you want to use it for video on demand and that can just that's a process in itself i mean Mm -hmm. it's, it's it's a, it's, it's a part, when we were talking with Twitch in late January of this year, and um, we were looking to, to get back on the front page of Twitch and start re- getting ourselves back out there, um, they said, hey, we can do that for you. We can put you on the front page of Twitch, but you're gonna have to have licensing for that because if we push unlicensed content, we're held liable for that. Mm-hmm. And it says right on the Twitch website that you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to do DJ sets anyways. But although there's, just been huge mass, there's been this mass migration of DJs moving from Facebook over to Twitch because they'll let you live stream, but when it comes to video on demand, that's where they'll, they'll, they'll block you out, they'll, red, they'll flag you. And so, you know, Twitch said, yeah, it's great, we can put you to the front page of our website, and you can get all these hundreds of thousands of views, and, but here's the thing, that could open up a can of worms for you, Darren, because what if they go back after your other 450 videos that you have stored here on video on demand, they could go after you for all that then they could have come after you for all your past episodes uh going back we have over 1800 episodes we produced in the last 10 years and they could go back on us on that and when we worked with Ustream before we were a featured partner with Twitch uh we were a featured partner with Ustream and Ustream actually put us under the educational fair use kind of guideline act so we never really had to deal with this licensing thing until just recently and um I mean it's it's Twitch is now coming down the pipeline and going through their old video on demands. They're starting back from 2010 and moving forward saying, Hey, everyone, you got to get your licensing taken care of. We got to remove this content Um, because it's just, the the industry will come after them is what will happen.
0: And it's, it's funny because a lot of the people who are listening to this just kind of figure they can go on YouTube and type in the name of any song they wanna hear and it magically comes up. And so music is just free, right? And, and so many people don't think that this, there are papers that have to be signed to make this happen.
1: Yeah, basically it's, it's uh, and the thing is I have to request like, there could be 12 to 15 different songs from 12 to 15 different people. I might get 11 of them responding back within the first week but then I might have three of them that lollygag they never they, or they never even get back to me mm-hmm. so then I got to come back to the DJ and say hey I need three new songs but I can't use those it's like if I don't hear back from them within two weeks we can't use it or if it's going to cost me too much money I'm, I'm not like somebody could say like all these tracks here these songs could be licensed for let's just arbitrarily say five dollars or ten dollars okay great um, then somebody comes along and says, "Oh, you want to use that song? It's going to be fifty dollars." It's like, nope, sorry, not going to do it. Not in our price budget. Now imagine that just if it was five dollars per song, we're looking at sixty to what, sixty to eighty dollars per set. Times that by ten. I mean, times that by sixteen to twenty. You know, we're looking at <laughs> a nice little chunk of change, and that's just the money to pay for the licensing. That's not paying somebody to actually go and research all this and be that, that contact point that manages all that. So it's very interesting.
0: So when you're looking at people who are gravitating to a show like yours, what kind of audience are you usually getting? Who's actually in that chat room listening to whatever you have coming out there?
1: Yeah, I mean, our target demographic is definitely, I'd say the tw- – the 18 to 34 year old market, Um, you know, but I see a lot of, I mean, I've been around electronic music for more than half my life and I'm, I'm 45. So, you know, there are still people out there that grew up and love going nightclubbing. They just can't do it anymore because their parents or they have full-time jobs, but they still like the electronic music that they used to go to. So we'll see a range from anywhere from 18 to 45, 50 ish. And sometimes, but really it's, it's more the, the, the younger generations that, you know, the, the 20 somethings, early thirties.
0: Okay. Well, like what, what kind of attitudes are they bringing in there? Like, what are they, what, what's, what kind of interest are they grabbing? are they just like, Hey, this is a cool tune. Or did they actually get to exchange some information about the artist and the music?
1: I'm, yeah, that's a great question. What, what are the original formats of the show that we're just starting to get back to is we always did a pre-interview with the DJ and a post-interview and the pre-interview would be about three to four minutes and then we let the DJ play their set. And then we'd do a t- like a two-minute exit interview with them, just so you can get to know the, d- the, the DJ. We kept our show formats to one hour for the specific reason of that this was supposed to be a taste of what the DJ was like, not having the DJ come on and maybe play for three or four hours, which they could. I just had a DJ play for four hours on Sunday on the show on one of our extra silent disco tables. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But, you know, it's, it's really just trying to give a snippet or – uh, I look at it like this. I, I'm a foodie and I like to go to the buffet. So I like to try a lot of different things on my plate. And if I was gonna go into the studio and produce a show for four hours and I was only gonna have two DJs play, well then I'm only featuring obviously two DJs. But if I can have four DJs play, I'm getting more, my viewers more experience to more music in a four hour program than I would in just a, uh, having two DJs on in a four hour program.
0: That's a good analogy. It totally works
1: yeah so, and now because oh i was gonna say now that we've uh, adopted what's called silent disco technology yeah i want to hear more about that i can actually we'll get in more one of that well okay. here if, if for, for if your viewers don't know are, are you familiar with silent disco technology not really okay so let's let's this is really cool there's this uh, this this was a game changer for us not only from a production level but also bumped us up a notch in the entertainment realm of being able to do our own events. And um, silent disco technology is basically what you do is you go to an event and instead of the music being pushed over a loud sound system, it actually goes over wireless headsets. And these wireless headsets that we have can go over a thousand feet away from our DJ booth. Not only that, each headset has, right now we have four channel headsets. We're gonna be getting nine channel headsets here in the near future but I can have four DJs playing at the same time over the headsets and you can choose which one you want to listen to. And then you can walk a thousand feet away. So, you know, I got a red channel, a green channel, a blue channel, and an orange channel. These things light up at night. They look really, really awesome. And you know, it's, it's just interesting that you don't have to have an amplified music sound system and, and people can come together. And also, it's not just stuck to one genre or one for format of music. I could have you know, house music playing, I could have trance music playing, I could have drum and bass music playing, I could have hip-hop music playing, I could have rock, I could have 70s, 80s, whatever music I wanna have playing and a person could tune in and listen to what they, what they want to. So it kind of collectively brings people together that normally would not come, because if you had a nightclub, let's say a traditional nightclub, they're going to be playing that one genre of music for the night. Unless they have multiple rooms, then you can go between the two rooms. But with our headsets, we can have everyone in the same room, and then you can choose which one, what you want to listen to.
0: As so, somebody who has had to suffer through a couple of really painful nights in clubs, that is somewhat appealing to me. I like, I like thinking of it as an out.
1: Yeah, and, and, and um, it also gives more artists the opportunity to, pre- to perform – Because now in a traditional nightclub setting, when you go there and it's, you know, the doors open at 10, closes at 2, you have four hours and you have, you know, one or two opening DJs and then you have the headliner come on. Well, with Silent Disco, you could have 16 DJs playing in the same four hours. Not only that, from a production standpoint, I now have gone from producing four hours a week in one four-hour city to where I can now produce 16 hours of content in that same four-hour city. So I literally quadrupled my content distribution.
0: That, and when we have this kind of a, a world where the, I was just saying on, on a previous episode, the ability to create media is so democratized. Now the, the tools are cheap, they're easier to use than ever. It doesn't take a lot to get talent together because people are eager to become musicians, to become podcasters, become movie makers. To actually give them an outlet is valuable.
1: Absolutely. And, and a lot like before our show for 10 years, we were kind of at the forefront. I mean, I had a, a number of calls whenever things started getting shut down and everyone was moving to an online platform. And I kind of took a backseat approach because what I saw the world doing is where I kind of use this and it, it's just a rough number. But if there were 10 million DJs in the world, and I'd say 99% of them were not streaming live before March of 2020. Once this all hitting the nightclubs and events and everything got shut down. Every single one of them went online and was streaming live and, and setting up their Twitch stations and doing something online. You know, uh, there were some that were holding out, but for the majority, so I sat back as a DJ show that had been doing our show for 10 years. I said, you know what? There's a bunch of infrastructure, a bunch of other stuff I got to work on because like I was saying earlier, we've moved, we've almost moved out of the live streaming world. That is such a in place mechanism for what we do. We're now getting ready to be able to do events with our silent disco technology and and basically be qualified as an essential business to make that happen. Even though they, there's a lot of ins and outs to it, but we're showing the state and we're showing our city and the county the model of how we can do this. And they're actually nodding their heads saying, you know what, this is, this is doable. You know, this is a, this is a way that people can still get together, but still socially distance. Um, You know, we've kind of written the playbook on how to execute this and, Um, you know, for those people that don't understand it and they're like, oh, you're gathering people together and it's not safe. It's like, if you come and see our operations, I never get within six feet of anyone at my operation and anyone else that comes, they're allowed to gather in a group of, you know, up to five people right now, 10, when we get to phase three and they can stay six feet away from each other. And we do this at a public park. So it's open to the public. It's not a closed off nightclub, sardine packed environment. And so, um, Yeah, we're kind of just trying to push the ground there and and give people a, a sense of togetherness through entertainment in a very safe way.
0: And like you were saying about the Twitch streaming earlier, when you get people together and they start to swap information, they form their own little clicks online. This is, it's a very new concept. And yet for me, it's kind of a very old concept because it's not that different than 1996 when I found IRC, and people would get together and they would watch the new South Park or they would put on a football game and people would be chatting back and forth. And you, you, you didn't know what, you couldn't see what was there, that you were kind of on the honor system, but everybody agreed to tune in and watch the same thing and chat.
1: It, it's so funny that you bring that up because I was going to say, one of my first shows that I ever put to Fox called Phantasmagoria, I wanted specifically a chat room, I wanted a, a chat room built into our website so, that when we were live on broadcast TV, you could go into our chat room on our website. This is 2001, 2002. You could chat with us live as I'm the producer or the talent of the show while watching our show on broadcast television. We were doing that back in 2001, 2002.
0: That is pretty innovative even for the time.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I really missed that. We kind of got away from it when we moved to the streaming model of TV. But when we, when people really relied on TV being live, there was a a back and forth between the TV and the internet. As soon as a show was over, people were in chat rooms. They were sending email. They were on forums. You could see a wave of activity as soon as anything on TV ended.
1: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. I mean, well, that was the transition. I, I was working for Apple from 2005, roughly to 2009. And I remember in the early days when Steve Jobs was saying, you know, he wanted to make Apple the hub of your digital lifestyle. And I mean, they knew it was coming down the pipeline years in advance because they got their R&D team is, you know, I'd, I'd say safely 10 years, if not 20 years ahead on what's coming out. I mean, they, were, they didn't just come up with the iPhone in six months and say, let's market it, you know, and put it out there in 2007. Mm-hmm. He knew it was coming down the line. And now that transition from watching TV on Netflix or watching your instant on demand, you know, bridging the gap between bringing the technology of, of, you know, broadcast television, it's there, it's a medium, but we have instant access on demand. You know, there's Netflix, HBO Go, CBS, everyone has moved to that model. I mean, there's almost too many models. I have a lot of people that say, can't they just get it all in one and make it one membership to watch everything so I don't have to have a Hulu and Netflix, a CBS, you know, this, that, and the other. And, uh, they have that. It's
0: called cable. It sucks. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, you're right. But you still have to be there at that specific time to watch that specific show as opposed to on demand. And now we got our iPhones and we can actually be chatting during the show, you know, while we're sitting on the couch. We don't have to bring the computer or the laptop over with us. We have a mobile device so it's Facebook doing its push notifications or jumping into the Discord groups or wherever you want to go. To, to jump online and say, wow, check that out. You know, or, oh, what did you see that? Or episode five, wow, you know, we, we've all seen it online. And, mm-hmm. you know, you obviously get the people out there that do a lot of spoilers, you know, and that's kind of its own battle system of people disclosing information. But, you know, I just think that the online instant gratification, the, 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 the move will be to live streaming. You know, I mean, they aren't going to go into live streaming production of, say, uh, you know, the next... The next show that's like game of thrones they're not going to do that but as far as content creators like you and i it's definitely worth looking at taking advantage of that new technology like you said it's very easy to get into very inexpensive to get into i mean jeez i i've spent probably every five years i go through spending about 10 to 15 grand on new gear you know just to just to get caught up with everything and I feel right now I'm in a pretty good place. You know, I use OBS in the background, um, use some other cameras, but you know that I've been using. I got an ATEM switcher, you know that I use. I've used Tri- I was sponsored by TriCaster for three years and used the TriCaster Mini. I mean, that's just some of these things can get way out of people's price point. You know, the TriCaster Mini it comes in at about eighty five hundred dollars just to do live streaming, but it's a nice little toy. Um, but you don't have to. You don't have to spend that much money to get into this. And I wouldn't recommend anyone. Spend that much money right from the get-go, anyways. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to see more and more content creators, and again, uh, all the people that are home right now, and all the artists and entertainers that are home right now, and jumping on board to the, to the live stream platform. I don't. I'm curious as to what to see the aban- if what the abandonment rate will be, once we go into what what I would call a phase four. That's what we call it here in Washington when you can go back out and events can start happening again, and how much online content is going to be created and how much online content is going to be consumed in that live streaming world. Even podcasting for that matter too.
0: Especially podcasting. I'm I'm not an expert by any stretch, but I've loved podcasts for 14-ish years at this point. And I will say this, that there was this big rush as soon as the lockdown hit that podcasting microphones sold out so many podcasts were launched and all the podcast resources that I were like, "Is like the end times are here because from, you know, there's going to be so many new podcasts. You're never going to get noticed. And I'm thinking all the millions of podcasts that launched during the pandemic are going to be like the 99% of podcasts that they make three episodes and they get bored and they never come back.
1: That's, yeah, I am predicting a, uh, personally, after being in the industry and, uh, and the online content distribution, mm-hmm. even, even going back to broadcast television, I'm predicting a 60 to 80% drop in content production and a 60 to 80% drop in content consumption. Because people are going to go back to work, mm-hmm. they're going to be sitting in front of their computer for eight, 12 hours a day. You know, mm-hmm. you, can't, you can't watch 10 different podcasts in one day. And keep doing that over and over and over again if you're going back to work, if you're going to be going out to go eat at the restaurants, if you're going to be going to the movies, if you're going to be going to concerts or going to the park or whatever it is. And I I believe there's also going to be a a big bout of – a huge bout of PTSD from spending so much time in front of the computer throughout all the last few months of of what's been going on that people will say, I don't want to be in front of my computer anymore. I want to get outside. Mm -hmm. I can go outside. I'm going out. And, you know, I got to get out of the house and they might have their favorite shows that they still fall in love with and they're watching and following, but the amount of consumption, it, the, the time won't be there to do that.
0: Yeah. And I, I can't really speak to the lack of the drop in consumption, but the drop in creation, the podcasts and the YouTube channels and, and all those things that we're going to see drop off are the people who would have dropped off anyway. Th- those aren't going to be the ones that, those aren't going to be the big winner channels that people grow up. Those are the people that just did it because they were bored. And and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I, I encourage people to give something a try, but I I don't think the next Dan Carlin is going to be dropping off because of the pandemic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's going to be interesting. And, and the, I think again, one of the other bigger things, whether you're looking at, a live distribution model or a podcast distribution model. The one thing above, like if I go, if there was three things, the first one being engagement, these are all equally important by the way. There's not one really over top of the other, but one of them being engagement. The second one is content creation, consistent content creation of knowing that when your audience knows you're gonna drop an episode on Monday, that episode's coming out on Monday. If you're going to do two episodes a week and it's coming out on Monday and Wednesday or Monday and Friday, you're dropping two episodes. You just got to keep chugging away. And there's people I've come to in the game and they come in all hot headed. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm awesome. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. Uh, contact me when you get your hundredth episode under your belt. You know, if you're doing a weekly episode once a week, that means you're going to be doing it for two years. Then let's talk, you know, because, I believe one of my founding mission statements has always been with both my companies, ITV productions and the DJ sessions, event services was I will give people 98% of the information that I know to help them out. I had to go research. It's all out there, but if I can help somebody get there quicker or they say, what's your best practices or how do you do that? You know um, that's great. But the only thing I won't give them is my, my Rolodex, my, my list of contacts of the mm-hmm. people I've, I've met over the years and, Most, most, more, more so my contacts at my companies like Twitch and Ustream and Apple, I can't just give those away, you know, but I mean, I had to learn everything and it's out there and, and you just have to be consistent with it, you know, and, and keep delivering content and and refining your content. I mean, nobody's a natural at this, even the worst person it probably is the biggest person now. They started out and they weren't just a natural shoe in for doing this. Maybe they took some acting classes or they took a drama class and even in high school, or or maybe they took something in college or um, they read up on it or, you know, they were in movies and film and television before they started doing their own thing. So they had coaching. Um, Those are some other tricks, tips and tricks too. If you're going to put time, something into, if you're going to put, time into something and you're going to invest into something you may might as well want to be researching and making sure you're the trying to attain the best you can possibly be at doing it
0: absolutely absolutely and like I said it's I, I encourage anybody to give it a shot but it's it's like you said it's going to be until you're double digit episodes in or even triple digit episodes in before you can really say hey I'm serious about this
1: well, I think what people what people get disenfranchised the most uh, by is they're out there thinking, "Well, I can watch fifty million podcasts, and I can make that podcast, so I'm going to make my own podcast." And then they get little to no viewership because they don't understand anything about marketing, mm-hmm. advertising, branding, and they, "Oh, I got it up there. It's in Apple iTunes. It's on, it's on Stitcher. Please come find me." But And they're, and they're, and what they're doing is they're focusing on trying to tell every single one of their friends on Facebook, or if they're even using Twitter, or they're trying to tell all their followers on Instagram and not realizing that a post only gets out to about 5% of your people on your Facebook friends list. Mm -hmm. Or even if you go put it in a group, you know, you just got to be diligent in doing that. But if you're not going to put any money into marketing or, or, you know, no money into or time, into getting your name and brand out there, hence why I'm on your episode right now to let your viewers know about what we're doing. And 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 you know, then it's not going to happen for you, and you're going to fizzle out. You're going to be like, why am I doing this? Why am I spending all this time and money uh, to getting zero results? Uh, or, or or they can even get dis- disenfranchised because somebody goes and leaves a bad review, or they they get snippy with them in the chat room, or they say something online and and then they get uh, trolled or bullied on, on, on Facebook or Instagram. You know, all that kind of crazy stuff happens out there. You gotta kinda get a thick skin and remember, you're putting yourself out there for the world to watch you. You don't know who's gonna tune in and see that. And it can be from anywhere in the entire world. <laughs> remember that. I have people from Germany, I have people from Australia, I got people from Japan, you know, tuning in, watching our shows all the time. And you know, it, it's, it's very interesting, but you know, you got to moderate that and, and, and kind of let it be like water off a duck's back and be like, Hey, this is the product I want to deliver. This is what I believe in. And I want to make it the best deliverable product I can. So that just, that takes time. I did, my, my first pilot episode I ever did to take the broadcast television, we call it the pilot of S word. <laughs> and because it was literally garbage.
0: You I mean, can say that word on my show. I don't mind.
1: Oh, I could say pile of shit? Yeah. Yeah, we called it the pilot of shit. And we got turned down from one network station. And I, they said, well, what if you get turned down? My crew at the time, what if you get turned down from one? And I said, then we'll go take it to another one. And it was a few months later, we came back and made another pilot episode that was a lot more to what we wanted it to be like. And they said, okay, we can air this. You're, you're able to air this. It's approved. I'm like, okay, cool. But I'd still, just all the all the things you learn uh, going through stuff. You know, if you find a medium, I used to tell clients of mine when they wanted me to build a website for them, I'd say, okay, can you do me a favor and go find three websites that you really like, that you think you want your your site to be like. Now don't go take, you know, ESPN.com. Don't go take Disney.com. Don't go take Sony's website and expect that I'm gonna build you something like that because I got millions of dollars to put into this. But find some of the t- some other people that are in your industry that have really great sites, and what you like, and, and give me notes back on what those sites are. Same thing for podcasters. If you like a podcast out there or a live streaming show, you kind of say, "Hey, I want to emulate that, or at least I want it to be at that level of quality, or I want it to be somewhat like that." Uh, I see a lot of podcasters; they try to throw everything in the kitchen sink, and, and live video streamers. I've seen this for ten years. They get on board and they want to make it all. They want to make it look like a video game instead of a fully polished, perfected DJ show or a, sh- a series. And I see that and it just makes my, my me cringe. I'm just like, Ehh. but that's how they want to do it. Mm-hmm. I choose to go a little bit more of the cleaner professional route so I can get my sponsors and keep my sponsors happy. And because see my sponsors, I know they work with focus groups. So I got to focus group, my stuff and, I get focus groups and like, there's too much on the screen there. It doesn't, I get that kind of feedback. It's like, okay, let's keep it basic, simple, high quality, great music, fun time engagement. And that's what we're trying to deliver. And you look at the, like uh, some of the top shows in the world, you know, they do what we do called the boiler room or, um, mix mag or DJ mag. They keep it very clean, very simple, multicam angle and put their logo in, you know, it's a clean, sh- it's what I call a clean show. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, people try to do all those bells and whistles and I'm like, no, 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 no. If, if you, if, if, if it works for them, fine. But mm-hmm. I, I like to keep a clean show. So
0: if you look over the history of this show on YouTube, because there's two versions and this might actually end up on Twitch now too, just because, Hey, we're working on video together here, but, um, there's a mishmash, there's a whole range of video formats that we've used, by necessity, because, you know, in a pandemic, and and we're all using different video formats, and sometimes something doesn't work with something else. I've used whatever I had to make it work. But the ones I like, the ones I'm most proudest of visually, are the ones where I could sit across the table from somebody with a camera and just sit down and talk. I think those just plain look the best because it's simple, you know what you're looking at, your eyes just go to the two people talking
1: yeah absolutely i mean i think almost simpler is is simpler is better um when it comes to this but you're right using whatever you can to make your show happen for years i mean for oh gosh it was for well for the first five years of the series i was using a video onyx mixer from 1994 i was using cameras from 2006. Um, I was using a computer from 2009, (laughs) but the show must go on, Mm -hmm. you know, and you start out with what you can get access to. And, um, you know, I think that might be a little, I mean, the live streaming requirements aren't that much more nowadays than, than a podcasting requirement. Be I mean, you can, you can do great stuff with a $300 camera, you know, And, and I used to see this happen when I worked at Apple all the time you know, I'd get clients coming in and they wanted to get into making movies. So they would come to me and they'd say, oh, Darren, I want to buy this MacBook Pro for $2,000 because I just bought this $2,000 prosumer camera. And I'd look at them and go, okay, um, what kind of movies do you want to be shooting? And I'd come from a background and, and, and I'd say, okay, um, what did you buy for lighting? And they go, what do you mean? <laughs> uh, I go, you didn't buy any lighting gear? No. Okay, what did, what did you buy for audio gear? What, what do you mean audio? I got a microphone on the camera. It's going to be great. Oh. And I'd be like, oh no. So I'd say, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sell you into this MacBook. I'm going to save you $800. And you're going to go back and you're going to go get some lighting gear from one of the local lighting stores for a couple hundred bucks. And did you buy a tripod by any chance? No. Okay. <laughs> We're going to get a tripod lighting. Then we can talk because they thought by spending all this money on the camera it was going to make their footage great obviously they thought by getting the macbook pro and getting final cut pro on it and hiring me to be their trainer and i was going to train them how to make steven spielberg type movies because they spent money on this and i'm like i can't take a piece of shit and turn it into gold no matter how much you give it to me final cut pro doesn't do that okay if you're getting the great audio and you're getting great lighting and you're getting steady shots i can work with some of that and show you how to work with that but Garbage in is garbage out, and there's no amount mm-hmm. of editing that's going to clean it up. And that, oh. that's some. I think that's another lesson why people get disenfranchised because they want instant gratification, that quick gratification, and yet they don't want to do the studying or the uh, taking classes or, or going to a school or program uh, or even reading a book. Even reading a book, you know, on, on how to frame up shots and and, and how to get good audio. Um, and there's so many resources out there before. Before I went to college, I used to go to Barnes & Noble and just sit and bar- grab a book in Barnes & Noble and just sit in a chair and read the book and then put it back on the shelf. You know, because I-, I couldn't afford to buy the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, you know, I could go to the library and they might have some books on it, but they didn't have the latest books, like what they were selling at, at Barnes & Noble. Um, you know, there was always the internet, obviously, um, but finding a site that you can jive with and go with. But there's always usually a local film group, a local movie group. Somewhere you can go and, and even go work as a production assistant of just being on set. And so what, you're going to go run and grab the coffee. So what, you're going to go get the bagels. You know, you're on set. You're hearing the director do their things. You're hearing the, the cinematographer set up their things. You're hearing the, the, the talent, the actors doing their things, the lighting design, the audio engineers. And then if you get a sit-in on post-production and watch how that all comes together, you're like, oh, I see why you, it takes 85 to 300 people to make a movie now? Wow. <laughs> and you were going to run out there with your own camera with no tripod, no lighting, and no audio, but Final Cut Pro and a, and a MacBook Pro and a $2,000 camera.
0: Be an extra, if nothing else, and shut up. Don't be the extra who goes on there and wants to kind of throw in your two cents. No, no. Just sit down, shut up, and watch.
1: I, I was an extra on, I saw a number of films when they came through Seattle, some bigger productions and yeah. And, and you know, it's, I don't know, there is a funny video and it was, um it was the actor's studio and it was, um. gosh, I don't know, are you familiar with James Lipton, the actor's studio? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, it was, uh, I can't remember who he was interviewing, but the whoever he had on stage somehow So an audience member is asking a question and the the person on stage responds back saying, you know what, the truth is, if you're trying to, he wasn't trying to be a jerk, but the truth is the odds of making it to be a major motion picture movie star are so small, you know, the the percentages of that happening are so small. So you being up here on stage and being where I'm at, um, it's almost like you're never gonna get here. Well, the person that was sitting in the audience was um oh gosh hang on i gotta get his name here give me two seconds um he um come on darren it's right oh come on give me all the actors bradley cooper it was bradley cooper okay. sitting in the audience asking this question and the guys responding back to him saying you know you probably won't ever make it this far yeah <laughs> bradley cooper's this huge major superstar actor so you you can make it but you know, a lot of things get in the way in, in entertainment. It can be rewarding, but it depends on what you're getting in it for. Uh, I had to explain to somebody the other day, our setup alone, if I was billing clients for it and was budgeting it out, whenever we go out to set up for a show and we're doing eight to 12 shows a month, would be anywhere from 3500 to $5,000 without breaking a sweat. And I've been doing that for 10 years. So just add the math. up, And I do it every single week, 52 weeks a year, roughly 50 weeks a year. You know, you add the dollars up that's been put into the production background value of all of what we've done. You know, we, we may, I may have spent millions of dollars of time on, on producing a show. Um, You know, and we're still not the number one DJ show in the world. We're still climbing through the ranks and getting our, our, our notches in our belt. And, I'm learning about new things and new technologies all the time to make the show a little bit better, but it's an expensive business to be into. And if you, if, you know, most people are working 40, 50 hours a week, and if they have a significant other or they have children or they have other hobbies they want to pursue, you know, you're, they say that you're only, you become a master of something when you spend, what is it? 10,000 hours doing it. So if anyone thinks they're going to be a master of something on the first hundred hours, they're, they're just deluding themselves and they will burn out makes
0: that I can't think of a better place than that to leave it because that is some darn good advice regardless of what niche you're trying to get into. That's, that's solid. So Darren, I'm going to let you go, but where can people follow your adventures on the web and on
1: Twitch? Absolutely. It's basically the DJ sessions.com. All of our socials are there. Our Twitch is the DJ sessions. We own the branding on the DJ sessions pretty much. So you type it in the DJ sessions. You'll find us. If you have a favorite podcast, aggregator that you like to use like itunes or or stitcher you type usually find us in there and type in dj sessions and you'll find us all over the place and we're just we're churning out a lot of content jump in the chat room with us have some fun um, we're doing some really innovative things with our show we have a number of different brands under our umbrella that uh i think people will get a kick out of if they really love electronic music
0: sweet sweet okay well all that's going to be on the, my website Aaronbossig.com. and i, I want to thank you so much for being here because it's been a lot of fun
1: Absolutely, Aaron. It was a pleasure being on the show. Thank you.
0: Take take good care. I would like to thank Darren for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. For the community building part of the show today, let's swing back to the topic of Twitch for a minute. Like I said in the introduction, there are portions of this show that were available on Twitch as a preview for some time. And I do have a Twitch account and I may occasionally post content there. I don't have any immediate plans to make Twitch a permanent part of my platform, but it's a good tool to have. And if you're a Twitch streamer or Twitch personality or or just want to have some sort of collaboration in the Twitch realm, reach out to me. I'm open to collaboration and I would just appreciate some pointers in the Twitch community for ways that you could incorporate a podcast into Twitch. You can always email me at bossickpodcasts at yahoo.com. I'm going to ask you to subscribe to the show on YouTube or Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And we are syndicated on Realm of the Mist, a fantastic podcast network. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.